Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? I'm doing well, young Daniel. Good to go. <laughs> young Dama. I ain't feeling so young these days. I got to go to the doctor today. <laughs> this has become a, uh, an evergreen topic on my show all the time. Dan Bongino. It's the Dan Bongino Medical Malady Hour. We were just talking co-host. about AARP, too. <laughs> <laughs> we were with your co host, Dr. Joe Armacon. What's your problem? Today, my elbows bother me, Dr. Joe. Really? What exactly is bothering you? Is it throbbing? Is it an acute oh. pain? Is it a dull pain? Oh, oh man. I really, I, I can't. It's just hysterical how I'm 44. I feel like I'm 84. All right. I got a stacked show for you today. We had some um, really stunning information last night, again, from John Solomon, who I told you from the Hill knows the whole story about Spygate, uh, Russiagate, the collusion hoax. I've told you from the start. He dropped another bombshell last night, which proves a point Joe and I have been making for a long time that. Bob Mueller is the cover-up artist. That's Mm. what he's here to do. So I'm going to sum it up this way for you. I wrote this down. Bob Mueller, he's here to hide the players, and he's here to hide the game. So we'll get to that. I also want to get to some big movement on the potential uh, February 15th government shutdown date and why that matters in relation to the State of the Union. And also... The new socialism, what the Democrats are really doing, so you understand that this is an actual threat. <laughs> so don't go anywhere. All right, today's show brought to you by our buddies at indulgences.store. Folks, listen, I know Valentine's Day gifts are tough. You know, you can get the standard old stuff and write a nice card, and that's great and wonderful. But guys, what are you going to get the your, your wives and, and, and wives? What are you going to get your husbands? Husbands, husbands, that's like indulgences. That's yes. uh, give, them, give these a shot. These are really delicious. Together with Halo Healthy Tribes, indulgences.store has partnered to create a line of hot beverages that taste absolutely amazing. Uh, we got a couple of samples. My wife tried it. She said, what is this stuff? It is absolutely delicious. You will love it. Just add water for some of the most sumptuous mugs of hot cocoa and other flavors. Here, they have examples. They have uh, they're, they're plant burning, no animal ingredients. They have their mocha, their uh, Yogi Goji, their pink velvet with white chocolate cream cheese. It is delicious. You will not want to put the mug down when you start. They taste spectacular, but they're filled with spectacular stuff. 100% natural, no added sugar. They have superfoods. They have cocoa, MCT oil, collagen, prebiotic inulin, chia seeds, goji berries, and more. These spectacular tasting beverages are loaded with uh, MCT oil in addition to being 100% natural with no added sugar. OrganicAuthority.com called MCT oil the newest healthy fat nutrition craze. This, this stuff is great. I enjoyed it. My wife could not put the mug down. My kids loved it too. It was delicious. I love MCT oil too. I take a lot of it for my joints. These indulgent beverages are available in Valentine's Day gift packages starting as low as $39. But step up and be a man. Indulge her with all six flavors and save even more. Enroll her in the subscription program to get 12 additional flavors over the course of the next year. Act now and get ahead of the Valentine's Grunch. Here's a special deal for my listeners. Enter Bongino at checkout at indulgences.store, not .com. In addition, if you order before February, if you order before today, you'll get $5 off shipping and handling. Excuse me. Uh, you'll get $5 off shipping and handling. So act quickly to get uh, to save money for Valentine's Day. Get covered with a gift she'll appreciate and last. That's indulgences.store, promo code Bongino. For 10% savings, indulgences.store for 10% savings. Save yourself to grief. It's indulgences.store, not .com. Go check it out. And that's indulgences with an S at the end. Indulgences.store. Check them out. Okay. Um, Folks, the State of the Union has had some uh, dramatic effects on the political environment. Joe, what is a a, a common line of, uh, of, 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 of inquiry we pursued on the show? The the benefits of political capital. We've talked about it all yeah. the time. How, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to be uh, overly dramatic about this, but power, the way we traditionally think about it through elected positions, uh, is 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 a myth. It's a mythical concept. And, and, and I think what's happening in Virginia right now is an indicator of that. Let me give you a perfect example, Joe. Uh, Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, who still has not resigned, who was uh, caught in a scandal with uh, photos with a Ku Klux Klan outfit and a guy uh, uh, with blackface in there on his yearbook page. Joe, do you think Ralph Northam has any power right now? Uh, I think his bank account's pretty empty there, Dano. You see exactly where I'm going. Joe's reading my mind. 
bringing up the political bank account. Yes. Of, uh, now, uh, according to the traditional model of elected governance in the state of Virginia and our system of federalism, Ralph Northam should be one of the most powerful men in the country. He's a governor of a powerful state located near the epicenter of power, Washington, D.C. Uh, the Virginia suburbs house a lot of the government workers who work in D.C. Yet Ralph Northam is about as powerless right now, uh, and candidly speaking, as Joe and I. And when I say powerless, I mean powerless in the political sense, not the ability to move minds. Right. Political power through elected office is a myth. Political power through a political bank account and the accumulation of political capital in that bank account is not a myth. It's very real. Why do I bring this up? Because I was watching cable news this morning before we came on the air, Joe and I. And they were talking about how all of a sudden, Joe, after uh, President Trump's powerful State of the Union address where he mm -hmm. had nearly 70 percent approval, what happened? Well, we're looking at a February 15th shutdown, a February 15th shutdown for the federal government if they don't come to a deal on the budget. And all of a sudden, Joe, Nancy Pelosi is willing to come to the table now and start discussing some border security measures that were previously off the table. Gee, <laughs> why do you think that happened today? And the answer is, again, yeah, I know, Joe's scratching his head. Uh, the answer is obvious. Trump's State of the Union speech, as I said to you yesterday, had the ability to do, not just talk. It is the do that matters. And the do part of these speeches that matters is the ability to move public perception of how much political capital you have in your bank account. Trump made a heavy deposit in his political bank account. Listen, I don't want to over-dramatize the effects of it. These things come and go. People's approval ratings, the president and otherwise go up and down. Something could happen tomorrow that could knock it down a few points. We could get great job numbers next quarter that could up it a few points. The point is President Trump's speech was a game changer, at least in the short term. The political bank account matters. He made a massive deposit in his political bank account that has deeply impacted the Democrat political strategic calculus. They don't have a simple path going forward right now that they had a few weeks ago when they felt they had him in a corner due to President Trump saying uh, at the time that he was going to take the mantle for the government shutdown. They felt like they could pin it politically on him and that that was a withdrawal from his political bank account. This State of the Union speech was powerful. There's no deny. Listen, uh, folks. Denying it on the liberal side, you're just making yourself look foolish. Denying the fact that the speech was powerful based on pure metrics, public polling, the reception he got, even amongst uh, certain people in the never Trump crowd who were starting to acknowledge that it was a really good speech. You ignoring it does you no good. It makes you look like a darn fool, to be candid. It moved the political needle in a direction we needed, and we now have the chance to finally get get some political action done because it's about building that political bank account, building your political capital. Being in an elected position and assuming that that automatically equals political power is a myth I would really like you to dispel. I can't emphasize to you enough the importance of building a political capital bank account. The only analogy I can do that makes sense is a financial one. And that's built through legislative successes, good economic numbers, a public approval ratings. That's how that works. That's how you fix this situation. Uh, President Trump did a really good job in his speech. So I just want to throw that in there before we get to the other material in the show. All right. Some uh, incredible news last night from uh, from John Solomon on, on Fox. He was on the Hannity show last night. You're back. There we go. Joe Armacaw's back. <laughs> what happened there? We missed you for I a second. Know, there, man. Something happened uh, in the interweb. It goofed up between in, us. In the yeah. interwebs? Yeah. <laughs> Someone asked me in our new... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, getting a lot of questions about the video, by the way. Uh, Joe's got a lot of books in the background. of it. No, he oh, hasn't yeah. read every one of those books, Joe, obviously. Uh, but uh, the video, we'll be putting some clips on our YouTube channel. Uh, so you can check that out. We have the uh, the verified YouTube channel. Uh, just put Dan Bongino show. It comes right up with the one with the check mark next to it. Um, we're also putting some clips up on Twitter. I'm at D Bongino. We'll be putting up the whole show uh, shortly. So uh, I've been getting a lot of questions. I appreciate that. But right for now, we're putting up some clips so you can see what it looks like and, and what we've been working on. It's taken up a lot of our time, but we want to get it perfect for you. So we're putting up some teaser clips. But uh, getting back to what happened last night, Bob Mueller. So uh, the Mueller investigation is slowly but surely falling apart. Yeah, uh, Solomon goes on Sean Hannity's show last night, and Solomon knows everything. I've told you that. I think he has a, a good perspective on what's going on with this case. 
And Solomon is indicating again how Bob Mueller is the cover-up artist. I told you this. Bob Mueller's purpose to come into this investigation uh, was to sweep all of the mess underneath the rug by doing two things. Saving the reputation of the Department of Justice and FBI, who frankly destroyed their reputations by spying on a presidential candidate and a president. And also to make sure the attention and the heat stays on Donald Trump so the attention and the heat can stay away from the FBI, DOJ, Hillary Clinton, and others. Now, what did Solomon say? Joe, you got that clip ready? Um, Yeah, man. He goes on Hannity last night, and he was talking about Bob Mueller's tenure during the FBI and the tenure immediately preceding Bob Mueller's time at the FBI, where there were some major league abuses at this very specific court, the FISA court, Joe, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which was used to spy on Donald Trump. And here's what Solomon said about Mueller getting hauled in front of the court. The FBI, before and during Robert Mueller's tenure, submitted FISA that materially omitted exculpatory or other information essential to the court. Well, evidence they had. Yes. I'll give you one example that the court cited that really smoked the court. They're really upset about this. They wanted a FISA. They didn't tell the court that the guy they were putting a FISA on was one of their own informants. What, what would happen to me if I lied to a federal judge you'd, or uh, lied in an, a warrant application? You'd either be in contempt of court or probably in prison prosecuted for perjury. Folks. What have I been telling you? Mueller is the perfect guy to be brought in by Rod Rosenstein after this whole spying debacle and abuse of the FISA court where they got a warrant to spy on the Trump team using fake information in the dossier. It was real information, but the information wasn't authentic. Right, right. I told you Mueller is the cover-up guy. Joe, he's he's been brought in to cover up the players and to cover up the game. Yep. Let's go in. I had to write this out because I don't want to miss any of this. First, let me just cite a bit from uh, John Solomon's wonderful piece in the Hill, which will be in the show notes. It's a must read today. Please check it out. It's a piece in the Hill in my show notes at Bongino.com. You subscribe to my email list. Paula has a piece up on the video now. Mueller hauled before the secret FISA court to address FBI abuses in 2002. That was said to Congress. Who told Congress this? An FBI lawyer by the name of Tricia Anderson was brought in to talk to Congress under oath about what happened with the FISA abuse process, the FBI going into a court to get a warrant to spy on Trump. Now, Tricia Anderson, quoting from the piece, who recently stepped down as the FBI's principal deputy general counsel, told House investigators last year in an interview that early in Mueller's FBI tenure, nearly two decades ago, the FISA court summoned the new director to appear before the judges to address concerns about the extensive cheating on FISA warrants. Oh, oh, there you go. There mm, you, mm, so you bring mm. in a guy who has been hauled in front of the court before, Bob Mueller's the FBI director, accused of cheating on FISA warrants by the agency he runs to investigate Trump in a case where it's alleged that the FISA court was used to get a warrant via cheating. Perfect guy, Joe. Perfect. No no conflict of interest there, folks. Don't you worry at all. Nothing to see here. Everybody move along. Everyone. No big deal. Nothing to see here. Here's Trisha Anderson's quote. It it preceded my time at the FBI, but as I understood it, there was a pattern of some incidents of omission that were of concern to the FISA court that resulted in Director Mueller actually appearing before the FISA court himself. This is great. This is... Other sources who worked for Mueller at the time told Solomon that the court's concerns arose in 2002 and 2003 after 9-11 when the FISA court learned the FBI had omitted materials, listen to this, folks, from FISA warrant applications in more than 75 terrorism cases that dated back to the late 1990s. Wait, wait, there's a part two to this that I haven't even gotten to yet. But let's just hammer down and isolate part one and analyze this here. All right. Why appoint Bob Mueller as a special counsel to investigate Trump? Because Mueller is tied to the players and he's tied to the game. Mueller was the FBI director when this FISA court process was in its infancy and was developing a set of procedures used to spy on potential terrorists and others. The fact that the FISA court process was abused to spy on Donald Trump, who better to understand the abuses than the guy who was in charge when the abuses were happening? Do you see my point? This guy's got a vested interest, Bob Mueller, in making all this stuff go away. He's not going to expose FISA abuses. He was part of it, according to the FBI's own principal deputy counsel. 
Who better to sweep this stuff under the rug? Now you wonder why they keep arresting people on the Trump team for nonsense uh, and process crimes and they can't find collusion yet while the Mueller probe goes on indefinitely because Mueller's job is to keep the heat on Donald Trump and to brush all this stuff aside. This is so simple when you look at this. Now, who else? So he's not only connected to the game. And when I say the game, I don't mean it flippantly. The game here is the IC, the intelligence uh, community. And components of the upper level of the FBI clearly don't want to let go of this star chamber like FISA court where they can get warrants to spy on Americans and the proceedings aren't adversarial. In other words, Joe, there is no ability for you to object to it or to get your lawyer in there. If they want to spy on you, Joe Armacost, in a foreign intelligence surveillance court, you have no ability to even get your lawyer to defend yourself because you won't even know. It is a secret court. Clearly, people in the upper echelons of law enforcement in the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the intelligence community don't want to let this asset go. What would damage this asset in a catastrophic, potentially critical, fatal manner? What would damage the reputation of the FISA court in the American public eye, Joe? Revelations that this court was used to spy on political people, not terrorists. Is everybody seeing where I'm going with this? So what better guy to bring in to sweep that under the rug to make sure this asset maintains its integrity with the American public than Bob Mueller, a guy who was was the FBI director when they were disciplined for committing the same abuses? Of course he's not going to highlight this. He'd be highlighting himself. He has a vested interest, Mueller, in making all of this go away and keeping the attention on Donald Trump and making the public believe that this is about Donald Trump and not about what it's really about, which is what, Joe? Using a United States darn right court to spy on political opponents. Now, let's do a little backtracking so we understand why what Solomon said last night was so profound and important. Cool. Mueller has to hide the players. Because to hide the players, he does hide the game. And by hiding the game, he hides the players. The FISA abuse process using the FISA court to spy on Trump had players in it. Players who did what? Players who signed the FISA warrants, players who authorized the investigation, players who acted as secret back channels to funnel information into the FBI through the DOJ. Mueller's connected to these players. So again, he's the perfect guy to make sure the players in the game get hidden. Let's go through them one by one. Rod Rosenstein. How is he connected to Mueller? Rosenstein is the uh, is the United States attorney for Maryland. I worked for him when I was an agent in the Baltimore field office. Right, right. When they processed the precursor to the Uranium One case, the Uranium One case where the FBI, under Bob Mueller's lead, had an informant indicating that the Russians were helping the Iranians build their nuclear program and were using access to our nuclear energy products to do so. Some of the same people involved in that Uranium One deal financed $500,000 payments to Bill Clinton and the Clinton Foundation to give speeches overseas. Ladies and gentlemen, there was an obvious corruption investigation here. And what happened? The answer is nothing happened. Rosenstein pled out the case on a Friday, conveniently left out the key information in the, uh, in the, in the press release, released it on a Friday night. And just moved on as if nothing happened. They want this to go away because it reflected poorly on the Clintons who were knee deep in the approval of the Uranium One deal. Not the only ones, but there's no question she sat on that CFIUS board. And they did not notify the government about the conflicts of interest they had with the financial players in it. Secondly, Mueller's deeply connected to people involved with the Obama administration. How do you explain the fact? I had a long discussion yesterday with a with an individual shall remain nameless, but I was explaining how the how the, the connections in this case warrant specific questions, Joe. How do you explain the fact that Bob Mueller, one of his chief witnesses, informants in the case, we know this through public reporting. It's not some kind of bizarre conspiracy theory. You can look it up yourself. A guy by the name of George Nader, who is cooperating in the investigation against Trump, the witch hunt, his lawyers, Catherine Rumler, who was Obama's White House general counsel. That was Obama's lawyer, Obama's fixer. 
Just Google Catherine Rumler, Obama's fixer. You'll, you'll see her, her, her interconnectedness to Benghazi, the IRS scandal, the Secret Service scandal, Fast and Furious. She was the White House lawyer giving Obama advice on how to skate past these scandals. She's representing a chief cooperator working with Mueller? Of all the lawyers in the world, that's the lawyer you pick? Nobody sees this as even slightly bizarre or, 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 or worthy of, uh, of questions? John Carlin. You know what? Let me get to Carlin last. Uh, Andy Weissman. We now know Andy Weissman, according to Catherine Herridge, which I discussed yesterday, the chief prosecutor in the Mueller probe. Think about this. Knew in August of 2016, before the FISA warrant was sworn to, that Mueller's got a history of being hauled in front of for abuses of the FISA court. We know Andy Weissman, his chief prosecutor bulldog in the case, the guy who's investigating Trump, Andy Weissman with a history of questionable activity. Right. A sleaze Andy Weissman. He's been involved in, in just disturbing, disgusting incidents in the past. Andy Weissman knew before they swore to the FISA warrant, Joe, Andrew Weissman knew that there were political problems with the information they were bringing in front of the FISA court. He was briefed by Bruce Orr that the information they had from Christopher Steele used in the FISA was politically biased. And of of, of, of not, not, not remotely shocking to us, Weissman and doesn't in, nobody includes any of this in the FISA warrant. How about that? How about that? Nobody includes in the FISA warrant a material omission, can we all agree, that the information in the FISA warrant used, the dossier, is political. I mean political, they, they do include the fact that it was uh, political in nature, I want to be clear, but right. they don't include the fact that it comes from the Hillary Clinton team and is being financed by a guy, Christopher Steele, who's on the record telling or that he can't stand Donald Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, if that doesn't qualify for a material omission in a FISA court, I have no idea what does. Mueller's connected to Weissman. Weissman's working the Enron case, the disastrous case where convictions were thrown out when Mueller's the FBI director. They know each other. They have to know each other. Mueller picks him specifically, Weissman, the guy who hates Donald Trump. Weissman, the guy who emails Sally Yates, known Trump hater, when she's at DOJ, emails her celebrating the fact that she's refusing to carry out Trump's orders on the uh, on the travel ban. Why would Mueller pick him? Why would the chief cooperator case pick Obama's lawyer? Why does Rosenstein, the guy who's involved in the Uranium One case when Mueller's the FBI director, then pick Mueller? And then why pick Mueller to be the special counsel in a FISA abuse case when Mueller himself has been accused of FISA abuses? Finally, there's more players involved, but I have a lot to get through here, including the socialism stuff. John Carlin. John Carlin. Ladies and gentlemen, John Carlin was Bob Mueller's old chief of staff. They clearly have a professional and personal relationship. None of this is in dispute. John Carlin is Mueller's chief of staff, but then moves on. He moves on and takes a different position. He takes a position in the Department of Justice as the head of the National Security Division. Oh, isn't that convenient? How about that? How about that? Why does that matter? (laughs) Why does that matter? Because in the material omissions from the FISA court, we have a FISA abuse scandal where the FISA court was used to spy on the Trump team with material omissions. The information used to spy was, was given to them by Hillary Clinton, her team, by another guy, Steele, who's on the record saying he hates Trump. Who verified the information? Well, in the chain of command of people to verify the information, John Carlin is at the top. He's one of the last guys in the Department of Justice to sign off in a procedure called the Woods Procedure. That's his buddy, John Carlin. John Carlin put his John Hancock, his signature, on a form, a a Woods file, 
that has to document that the information they use contained no material omissions and was authentic before it went to the FISA court. It did have material omissions and was inauthentic. Why is Mueller not investigating his old buddy? Now, the Solomon piece. Why did I bring up the players? Oh, because it gets good because here's him hiding the game too. And when I say hiding the game, he's hiding the fact that the Woods procedure to verify information is BS. How do we know that? Because the information used to spy on Trump, Joe, wasn't verified. So if the Woods procedure is designed to verify information in the FISA court and unverified information got in the FISA court, the Woods procedure and the file are BS. Are they not? It's just common sense. Mueller has to hide that. He's here to save the reputation of the DOJ. The other part of the game he's hiding is the FISA process in general. It's become a star chamber. Now, quoting from uh, John Solomon's piece in the Hill. Most of the omissions occurred in FBI work that predated Mueller's arrival, the sources said. But the court wanted assurances that the new sheriff in town, Bob Mueller at the time when he was appointed FBI director, was going to stop the abuses. Mueller told the court, wait for it. Mueller told the court that the FBI, under his tenure, folks, had created a new system called the Woods Procedures to ensure FISA warrant... (laughs) How long have we been telling you, pay attention to the Woods Procedure? This matters because it creates a paper trail about how they verified unverified information to ensure warrant applications were accurate and did not omit material information, according to Anderson's congressional interview. Listen to this. This is Trisha Anderson, FBI lawyer in front of Congress. My understanding is he committed to the court to address the problem, and then he's talking about Mueller, and that the series of reforms we implemented, including the use of the Woods form, were the direct result of his engagement before the FISA court. In other words... The Woods procedure are attributed to Mueller's tenure at the FBI. Oh, Bob Mueller's team is responsible for devising a set of procedures to verify information that grotesquely failed in the political spying operation through the very same court on Donald Trump. Where the heck is that Woods file? Now, do you understand why I keep bringing it up? You're probably like banging your head against the desk. You've been saying this forever, Dan. Yes, now you know why. The Woods file is a paper trail of a bunch of people following procedures started when Bob Mueller was the FBI director that failed abysmally to verify an ounce of information that was used to spy on the now president of the United States team. What better guy to be the cover-up artist than Bob Mueller? He was the perfect guy. It's his procedure. Hide the players. Hide the game. Today's show also brought to you by buddies at iTarget. Ladies and gentlemen, there's two things with a firearm that matter. Most importantly, if you're going to own one, safety and proficiency. Safety, 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 but proficiency too. God forbid you're in a life situation, life-saving situation where you need to save your life, save the life of your family. You need to protect yourself. You need to be proficient. So one of the best ways to increase your proficiency with the firearm you have now is using the iTarget Pro system. Competitive shooters, people who do this for a living, dry fire 10 times more than they live fire. That's how they increase their proficiency. The range is great. You got to get there, but you can't always get there. So if you can't get to the range, this is the way to increase the proficiency with a firearm. How do you do it? Dry firing involves safely unloading your weapon. Check it twice. Check it three times. Make sure it is unloaded. You can't make any mistakes there. Uh, you you uh, point that firearm in a safe direction, downrange, and the iTarget Pro system will send you a laser round where you will uh, dry firing is when you you pull the trigger on a safely unloaded weapon where you can practice your sight picture, your sight alignment, your grip, your stance, all of the things that matter and make you a more effective, a more proficient a user of firearms, right? So the iTarget Pro system will send you this laser round. You will drop in the firearm you have now. You have a nine millimeter firearm. They will send you a nine millimeter laser round. And the great part about this is you'll still be dry firing because it's not a live round, but it'll emit a laser onto a target they send you. And in conjunction with a phone app, you will see exactly where the rounds would have gone. People love this system. The feedback I get on it is incredible. Uh, uh, Listeners email me and say, listen, we can't put it down. 
your proficiency will go up dramatically, even in a, give it a week, give it three, four days from a Monday to a Friday, set up three or four training sessions with it where you drop that laser round in there. You, uh, you, uh, send that, uh, laser onto the target they, they give you and you'll see your groups will tighten up dramatically. I can't recommend this system enough. It is available at itargetpro.com. That's the letter I targetpro.com itargetpro.com. Use promo code Dan for 10% off. That's promo code Dan for 10% off. It's itargetpro.com. Promo code Dan for 10% off. Do not accept second rate proficiency with your firearm. God forbid you need to use it in a life situ- uh, life-saving situation. You must be proficient. itargetpro.com. Promo code Dan for 10% off. Okay. Um, let's, 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 so just to wrap up where we were with the Mueller probe, ladies and gentlemen, this is his sole purpose right now. It's clear as day. You have to protect the players. Mueller knows the players. Mueller also knows the game as well. He is protecting what his baby was. He is protecting this thing he coddled from the time he was the FBI director on uh, the Woods procedure. He is protecting the FISA court because the DOJ and the FBI need these tools. And Rod Rosenstein knows it. Okay, uh, moving on. So there was an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal this morning. about socialism. And ladies and gentlemen, it's a topic that sadly has taken on uh, new importance in the United States. There it is. Who's afraid of socialism? Because we have this new far left radical group of Democrats who are now uh, of the uh, Alexandria Cortez, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris model, who have been moving the Democrat Party from uh, what was the the, the Bill Clinton Democrat Leadership uh, Committee uh, Democrats over to the to far left, back into the socialist camp, uh, where they where they've gone on and off for the last few decades. But you know, I think when we talk about socialism, we tend to talk about it in a um, almost esoteric, kind of ethereal, like otherworldly way. Uh, we don't hammer it down what they really mean. And the journal does a good job this morning mm-hmm. of talking about exactly what this new Democrat socialist agenda means for you and how it's going to hurt. So I'm going to pin this down for you, and I'm going to put together some bullet points about how dangerous this lurch is for you. But first, I want to describe what this new form of socialism is for them and how we got here. Uh, Socialism is the government control of the means of production. Now, Kevin Williamson, uh, who I'm not sure where he's writing for, and I think he's back at National Review. There was a big scandal with him at The Atlantic. It doesn't involve him. It involved the people at The Atlantic losing their minds. Um, That's a whole other story. But he had a book I read a while ago. Forgive me, I forget the title. I always screw it up like the Idiot's Guide to Socialism or something like that. But it's a good book. Um, and I read it. Yeah. And in the book, we've mentioned it often. It's up there with the Black Swan. Even though Williams is not a huge fan of my, you know, I, I can't, when it, when it's, listen, it's good work. It's good work, whatever. Um, but in the book, he writes about how after the collapse of the Soviet Union, this is an important point, folks. This is critical, right? After the collapse of the Soviet Union, It was very difficult for any Democrat, even though they believed that socialism worked and it was just the, you know, it was only the people in the Soviet Union that blew it, Joe. Socialism's not a bad idea. It was just the idiots that implemented it. uh, Williamson makes the point that the collapse of the Soviet Union in such a devastating, open, newsworthy fashion made it very difficult for any mainstream Democrat to get out in front of the TV screen and say what Democrats are saying now. People like Cortez and Sanders said, oh, socialism's great. Really? Because these people in the Soviet Union are starving. It made it difficult to do that. And your political capital would go down dramatically. So Williamson makes an interesting point in his book. It's an older book. That the Democrats shifted to a new form of socialism. And the new form of socialism is, is, is this. Let's not argue for a government takeover of the economy, which is what socialism is. Socialism, by definition, is the government control of the means of production. The means of production are the economic levers that produce refrigerators, medicine, everything. The government controls those means of production in socialism. Controls who works there, controls who becomes a doctor, who pays the doctor, what you're paid. That is what it is. It is hard tyranny. It is economic and political tyranny. The Democrats could no longer do that after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So they argued for this new form of socialism, which was a brilliant point I thought Williamson made, that, Joe, why control the means of production outright if you could de facto do it? Don't de jure do it, de facto do it. In other words, if the government, the United States government were to tomorrow tomorrow declare that we are now a socialist economy, all of your business is our business. Bongino Inc. is now, which is a real company we own, um, is now owned by the U.S. government. You will work for us and we will dictate what you're paid. 
then what happens, Joe? Bongino Inc. would go under remarks. I'm not working yeah. for the government. Right. And then who's to blame? The government. Sure. And that's what happened in the Soviet Union when the government took over nail production factories, car production factories, and the Russian Lada, the car fell apart. People eventually blamed the government for their economic deprivation because the government was in charge. That's what socialism is. The new socialism is the government control of the means of production by controlling the taxes and controlling the regulatory framework. It's a genius way to do it, Joe. Bingo. Think about it, right? The government doesn't have to outright confiscate your business if they tax the hell out of it and regulate it to death. I don't need to own, as a government official, Joe Armacost, Inc. If Joe has to give me all his money through taxes and Joe has to follow an extensive rule book that I laid out. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do that. All he has to do is work for me by default because he's already giving me his money and he's already subscribing to a series of rules right? that I laid out. You get what I'm saying? Therefore, yeah. what's the benefit of that? If Joe's business fails, then the new socialists who haven't outright confiscated the business, who do they blame? They blame Joe. Look, yeah. Joe's business fell. It wasn't our fault. We don't own it. Joe owns it. Joe doesn't own it. Joe owns it in name only. Right. He's an Owino, an owner in name only. Oh. That is the new <laughs> socialism. Oh, like a rhino, but an Owino. An owner in name only. Now, think about it, right? Where was new socialism implemented almost perfectly until a monkey wrench got thrown in? You may remember this, Joe. We did a Sunday show. We were only doing once a week shows on this very topic. Yeah. Obamacare. Why take over the healthcare system outright if you can tax and regulate it to death? That's what Obamacare was. New regulations. You must subscribe uh, to the community rating. You must subscribe to the guaranteed issue provisions. You will issue these types of policies that do these things. If you don't buy this, you will pay an individual mandate tax. There was the medical device tax. This was a form of the new socialism. Let's not take over the system outright, but let's in turn let the insurance companies exist. And by letting them exist, we'll tax and regulate them to death. And what happened, Joe? The plan was to let the insurance companies fail, yeah. to be able to blame them, to then move in to introduce an even bigger government footprint in the system. But what happened? What was the monkey wrench? The monkey wrench was the system was so bad and Obamacare failed so badly. The website didn't work. Premiums, was, premiums went sky high quicker than they expected that the public backlash made it unavoidable for the media to avoid the story. And in their attempt, remember, what were the Democrats going to do? They were going to blame Armacost Inc., yeah. Armacost Health Insurance. Look, it wasn't us. We, did, we don't own the health insurance companies. Joe does. All we did was institute these taxes and regulations. It's yeah. not our fault he can't comply. But the backlash was so severe that the media was forced to cover it as a failure of Obamacare, and it blew up in their faces. The first experiment in new socialism blew up. So now what are they back to, Joe? Now they're moving back to just outright old socialism in and of itself. Let's go through the yeah. bullet points one by one in the Wall Street Journal today, right? More aggression. On yeah. the healthcare front, instead of the just standard regulation, standard regulation of the healthcare insurance industry through Obamacare, they are now advocating for Medicare for all. Medicare for all, make no mistake, is a bureaucratic government-run healthcare system that would abandon and make illegal private healthcare. Now, it's not full-blown traditional Soviet socialism with regard to the fact that there will still be doctors and hospitals that are allowed to exist as private entities in some respect. Need them. In other words, if they want. But having said that, they will be paid by the government, have rules for payment dictated by the government, and the government will effectively, through, again, de facto socialism, dictate the majority of how their business practices are, are, uh, are implemented. So it's a move towards the left, even farther away from the Obamacare initial new socialism agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, you understand Medicare for all is really a system to, uh, to eliminate and make illegal private health care in this country, which will directly impact you. I hope you understand that. Secondly, 
How again, we're talking about this. The, the, this is the, this is the folks. I, I can't emphasize this enough. This is the actual Democrat agenda. This is not um, nonsensical stuff or right wing talking points I'm making up. These are things people have been on the record about. Right. Bernie Sanders introduced a Medicare for all bill in the United States Senate that had 16 co-sponsors on the Democrat side. A Medicare for all bill that would wipe out your insurance plan. That really happened. You can look it up yourself. Oh, you're fear mongering. We're not. I'm just telling you what happened. The Democrat new socialist agenda is moving back towards the old socialist agenda, which is more and more government control of components of your life. Healthcare is number one. Number two, our energy production business. Ocasio-Cortez conveniently this morning. This woman cannot be ignored. Representative Cortez has accumulated quite a following amongst the economically illiterate. She introduced this morning an absurd, outrageous, nonsensical, mathematically and arithmetically impossible Green New Deal. The Green New Deal dictates a, a, uh, a carbon neutral economy within the next 10 years. Now, Joe, how is she going to do that? Do tell. Do, do tell. Do government implementation of mandates that will dictate that we move away from energy sources we have now to non-carbon sources. In other words, in in regular, rational, reasonable American speak, that would mean dumping gasoline, petrochemicals, coal, natural gas, and others for solar power and wind. Yes, which is in 10 years. Now, you may say, oh, well, that sounds like a great idea, Dan, does it? Because as the journal indicates this morning, non-carbon energy currently produces a whopping... 11% 11% of our energy energy supply. <laughs> so how you propose we are going to increase that from 11% to 100% in 10 years without the infrastructure, technology, or, or even energy thermodynamics to do so is beyond me. But because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got elected to Congress, she thinks she has the, uh, the cerebral brain power somehow to dictate to our entire energy industry how they're going to come up with the other 89% in 10 years. How, what are they, what are they going to do? Mandate a, a wind turbine on everybody's roof? What is she doing? What is she doing? <laughs> what is she doing back what there? What is she doing? Again, the new socialism. You don't have to own the energy industry. <laughs> you just have to dictate them through taxes and regulation how they're going to operate. And then when they fail, you just blame it on them. Third, so first, they want to take over the healthcare industry. Again, already proposed and voted on. Second, they want to take over the energy industry. Oh, you're fear-mongering. Really? Did you read the bill this morning? The agenda? It's not the bill. The agenda, the Green New Deal she's putting forward? This is an elected member of Congress with very real power. Did you miss that? She's fear-mongering, not us. We're just telling you the truth. Third, they want to dramatically gain control and a government foothold camel's nose under the tent into the American workforce to an even more significant degree than they are now. They want to do a federal jobs guarantee, a jobs guarantee, meaning everybody is guaranteed some job backed by federal government dollars at a quote living wage. Ladies and gentlemen, think about that. If the federal government now hires everyone who doesn't have a job, and is it, why would you go and look for another job in the free market economy where value is being added? Ladies and gentlemen, the government doesn't add value. I've had some people email me and object to this. I see the government adds value. Folks, the Constitutional Republic, as implemented by our Constitution, our founding documents, understood that there is nothing the government do that the free market can't do better. Nothing. Nothing. Now, the reason we accept financial asymmetries and government spending in terms of our military and our court system in the Constitution is because the incentives for a private court system or a private military, even though they're less economically efficient, are damaging. You don't want a bunch of mercenaries running around starting wars to get a pay raise. Some would argue some lobbyists are doing that now. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So we have a military, thankfully, filled with American patriots who I, if you're a listener to the show, you know I have the deepest and most profound respect for, and I sincerely mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for what you do, for relatively little money. It's amazing. But understand that we accept the financial asymmetries there because we have to with regard to the military and the court system. There is nothing the government does that adds value more than can be done in a free market economy. Milton Friedman's old line, when the government spends other people's money on other people, which is what the government does, it takes money from you and gives it to someone else, neither cost nor quality matter because it's not their money and they're not even buying what they're buying for themselves. I had a woman email me and I appreciate your feedback saying, hey, I work for the government. We provide this analysis for roads. Thank you. I appreciate your, I'm not knocking you. I worked for the government in the secret service. There are good people there. I left. There are good folks there. And I'm not suggesting what they do isn't valuable in the law enforcement function. I'm suggesting to you that the value added, well, law enforcement's separate. I should include them with the military because obviously the incentives would be perverse there too. But when you start talking about traffic control mechanisms, the free market economy is obviously motivated by spending their own money on themselves to increase the cost and quality of those mechanisms. I bring all this up in light of the federal jobs guarantee because the more people we pull out of a private economy that has an incentive by spending their own money on themselves where cost and quality matter and put them in the federal workforce where cost and quality don't matter because you're spending other people's money on other people, the more efficiency we lose out of the economy. This is a real proposal, the jobs guarantee. Included in a lot of these Green New Deal type agenda items. Duh. This is really happening. We're not making this up. All right, I got a few more, the new socialism. This is real. It's not a joke. Before we get to that uh, final read of the day from a great company, they sent me a couple samples of their shirts, and uh, my wife loves them, really loves them. You ever have that problem, Joe, when you untuck uh, a dress shirt? They, you know, they have the cuts on the side, and yeah. it just never looks right. Right. Well, Untuck has figured that out. No guy looks good in a long, bulky dress shirt when it's untucked. You look like you got a poncho on. Come on, we all know it looks terrible. You might think it looks casual, but really, it does look sloppy. <laughs> I, I, I can't stand that look. That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Old school dress shirts were meant to be tucked in. But untuck it makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. And man, do these shirts look spectacular. I got two of them. They look great. I should take a photo, put it on my uh, Instagram. (laughs) For that clean, casual look that's not too long or not too short, you can even wear it at the office. You need untuck it. They have more than 50 fit combinations, athletic type fits, slim fits. Uh, It works out great. Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Go to untuckit.com or visit one of Untucket's 50 stores across the U.S. and Canada. Untucket even offers free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. Use promo code BONGINO for 20% off your first purchase. That's promo code BONGINO for 20% off your first purchase. So if you want the perfect fitting shirt, regardless of your shape or size, Try the original untucked shirt. You will never look better. Get one for Valentine's Day. Go out with your loved one there. You'll look sharp. And remember, use promo code Bongino for 20% off your first purchase at untuckit.com. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, untuckit.com, promo code Bongino for 20% off. Okay. Getting back to the socialism dilemma. Ladies and gentlemen, this is real. I wanted to make this bleed for you today. I wanted to put some skin on this. I wanted to make sure we're not having these, uh, again, otherworldly intellectual arguments that don't have real world consequences. I just laid out to you in healthcare, the Green New Deal in the energy arena, in the workforce space, Mm -hmm. how the government is moving in and moving in and encroaching on your life and increasingly taking away your freedom in a zero sum battle for liberty. Liberty is zero sum. Your money, your choices, and your healthcare choices cannot belong to you and the government at the same time, folks. Either you are making your healthcare decisions and spending your money on yourself, your business, and your family, or the government is. Those two spaces can't coexist at the same time. It is a continuum. More government, less individual freedom. Less government, more individual freedom. This is not a hard concept to figure out. Not at all. (laughs) Another area where socialism is encroaching on your life in a very real, tangible way. 
Elizabeth Warren, candidate for president, who was busted again yesterday for declaring herself an American Indian on her Texas bar application. Uh, She is not uh, American Indian in any kind of tribal significant way. She did it clearly at this point to get ahead. Elizabeth Warren is proposing a federal charter for companies earning a billion dollars or more. A federal charter. So now we want government bureaucrats who can't even get government right, government bureaucrats who have no expertise at all in even governing, uh, who have zero expertise in running billion-dollar businesses, to be managing through a federal charter billion-dollar businesses to ensure they operate according to federal principles? If this isn't the new socialism, Joe, I don't know what is. They're with the government. They're qualified. For what? <laughs> they're not, you know, you and I both know they're not qualified for anything. <laughs> so you want government, again, the new social, why own the business outright? If you can move in on Apple and Microsoft and other businesses, if you can just move in and dictate to their board through a federal charter how they're going to operate, what better way to roll? Make sure that they invest, Joe, in social justice programs and elsewhere. I can see it coming now. Millions and millions of dollars for activist groups that promote left-leaning causes. Because why? The federal charter says it's so. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, these are real consequences in the real world. These are real proposals. This is not a joke. On the economic front, the federal government encroaching in your life. I just showed you the very simple to understand continuum. Individual liberty, government power. We give up some individual liberty through financing our taxes through a constitutional role of the republic. We give up some of our individual liberty based on things we can and can't do. We, you know, we obviously can't commit certain crimes. We can't because we vote on people who vote on laws. But understand, as the government takes more of your money and implements new rules, there's no power in yes, as Chuck Ecker once told me. Chuck Ecker, Howard County Executive in Maryland, once said to me, government power constantly increases and the bureaucracy grows because there is absolutely no power in yes. There is only power in the government in telling people no. When you tell people no, they have to come back to you to lobby you to get to yes. Yep. There is no power in an initial yes. So what do we do? In order to get people to get to, uh, to get to yes, we tax the snot out of them and we implement a bunch of tax loopholes that have to be lobbied for. So you need a favor, you're paying a 70% tax rate. You walk into your local government official, hey, I'm getting crushed in my business with this tax rate. Hey, we're going to make a loophole for your blue t-shirt business or whatever it may be. That's why the implementation of high tax rates works for the government. It enables government bureaucrats to get the lobbyists in their office to make and empower them to get them to yes. Then they use the lobbyists later for jobs when they get out of office. This, this is a, a virtuous, a, a, an invirtuous circle of stupid that never seems to end. The tax rates on the personal front, it is more money out of your wallet. Ladies and gentlemen, these are real plans. I wrote down three of them. Bernie Sanders is now proposing uh, upping the tax rate, the death tax, to 77%. So keep in mind, you've saved your entire life to hand off some assets to your children that you've paid taxes on, capital gains taxes, income taxes, payroll taxes. You've accumulated post-tax money. You want to leave off to your kids in the form of capital assets and money. And now Bernie Sanders wants 77% of that. Again, new socialism. I don't have to own you, but if I own your ability to economically get ahead and pass on some form of wealth to your children, I own you anyway. Oh, yeah. Representative Cortez proposing a 70% top marginal tax rate for people making $10 million or more. You may say, well, that's not going to affect me. No, it is going to affect you. Because as I've stated to you multiple times, her plan is economically unfeasible. She's promoting $40-plus trillion in new spending, $4 trillion a year in new spending, with only $200 billion via this tax at most to pay for it. Of course this is going to affect you. Either she's ignorant or she's lying. There's no money in a 10 millionaire tax to pay for $40 trillion in new spending. Not even close. The real money in America is with the middle class. She knows that. Elizabeth Warren proposing a 2% wealth tax on assets. Assets. Money you've already paid taxes on. The 2% annual tax on your assets if you make a certain amount of money. Again, ladies and gentlemen, real socialism in real time trying to be implemented in the very real United States of America. Finally, ladies and gentlemen, Schumer 
and Bernie Sanders are promoting another plan now to limit stock buybacks. Folks, this is absurd. You know, I understand I got a nice email from a guy uh, who does uh, some good work in finance. It was a good email talking about the float and how stock stock buybacks uh, benefit uh, executives within a company who are paid in stock. I get it. I understand that. No one's suggesting any form of compensation comes without risk to shareholders. Nobody. Obviously, if you're going to pay people uh, in pure income, you don't know how they're they're going to be motivated. It may be, uh, you know, some form of a lifetime employment and they're not really worried about the stock price. They take a cushy job, whatever it may be. There's always you pay them in form of capital gains, uh, you know, of capital, oh, excuse me, of stocks. Of course, they're going to have uh, an incentive to up the, the strike price they got it at. And up, there's always a down and an upside to any form of compensation. But Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer are promoting, a, they wrote an op in the New York Times, they had to limit stock buybacks. So now you want companies to do what? When they can't figure out anything to do with their money, to buy a bunch of low return assets and keep a bunch of cash hoards lying around? Hoards, hoards, folks. Don't email me that with the RDS at the end. Cash hoards laying around? That's what you want? How do you think people who are invested in these stocks, pension funds, are going to feel by Chuck Schumer dictating to a company how they can manage their own assets? This is insane. This is very real and happening right now in the United States. This is real socialism. So to sum up, here's the penalty for you. They want to control your health care through Medicare for all, the energy industry through this Green New Deal, the jobs workforce through a jobs guarantee, how businesses are run, successful businesses through a federal charter. They want to control your income through increased tax rates and even a death tax, a higher death tax. And now they want to control how major companies uh, manage their own investment decisions. The new socialism. If all of this is implemented, they don't have to own those companies outright and confiscate the means of production. Because they already would. They would be taxing and regulating them to death. And that way, when the companies fail... They won't blame socialism. They'll blame those companies. All right, last story of the day, but it's an important one. I have a good piece up uh, from AmericanGreatness.com I would really love for you to check out. Um, it's very good. Talks about something we've discussed on the show before, how no one has succeeded in getting the Democrats to show their butts better than Donald Trump. Folks, the way the Democrats have moved and, and, and secreted themselves into political office and political power and increased their political capital and their political bank accounts over the years is by lying to people. Their strategic use of identity politics, phony, spurious charges of racism, sexism, homophobia, their reason for doing that, Joe, is because what's the Democrats' primary election strategy? It's never to get you to vote for them. They keep that mask on. It's get, to get you to vote against the other guy. Right. In right. other words, the Democrats have hidden their agenda for a long time. The agenda I just laid out to you. They feel like with the implementation of the of the Trump agenda and the Trump presidency, they have a unique opportunity to leverage anti-Trump emotion to move people into ideas rather than the hatred they've used before to get people to vote against the other guy. That may not make sense. In the past, they've hidden their agenda completely. They see a unique opportunity right now to unmask their agenda because they yeah. think people are so angry at Trump that they won't pay attention to the details. Does right. that make sense? Yep. Okay, it did, right, Joe? Yeah, they just on. feel like people are so angry at Trump, no matter what they say, people will vote for it. Yeah. But in the past, they've hidden this. Even Obama didn't advocate for Medicare for all. Trump has succeeded in getting the Democrats to show their butts and getting them to lay out exactly what I just told you. Now people are starting to see, and I think moderate working class Americans are starting to get a little frightened. Like, wait, you mean Medicare for all means my health care plan is going to go away? Wait, you mean my taxes are going to go up? Wait, you mean my business is going to be the one that's regulated by the government? So there's this piece in American greatness that says, again, a point we've hammered home repeatedly, that Donald Trump has enraged the left to such a point that he's gotten the left to expose themselves and rip their own masks off. The don't vote for them thing is not working anymore. And the American greatness piece talks about in reference to even the State of the Union, how even little things that were previously considered bipartisan entering the country legally, respecting our immigration laws. Even little things have now gone out the window. The Democrats refuse to get up and clap. A lot of them, even when he mentioned the evils of socialism, the Democrats, some of them sat on their butts and just sat there and did evils of socialism. We are socialists. The gift of Donald Trump 
has been his ability to expose the left precisely for who they are. They have shown their butts to the American people. They've shown their healthcare butts. They've shown their economic butts. They've shown their, their, their economic, uh, their, their, uh, their green agenda butts, their energy butts, their business butts, and none of these butts look good. Woo. It's ugly, folks. Read the piece. It's very good. The Democrats now are, are, are their, their identity politics, they're still married to that. But it's not just that. They feel like they have a unique opportunity now, given the anger of Trump, to show the American people who they really are. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe to the show uh, on iTunes. It is free if you have an iPhone. If you have an Android phone or other device, you can follow the show. If you go to iHeartRadio, there's a follow button. That is free as well. You can follow on SoundCloud. It is the subscriptions that drive us up the charts and help other people find our content. We deeply appreciate your loyalty to the show. Thanks a lot, folks. Really appreciate it. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud and follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.